So they had the missing capital that we needed and the strength on the back-end side of different verticals and core competencies that they brought to the table from a supply chain model perspective. But we had that foundation that was already in place of e-commerce, of scaling on a retail side, of knowing how to have marketing strategies with micro-influencers and getting the strategic partnerships. Those were already there. Hi, this is Small Business, a weekly podcast brought to you by Amazon. I'm your host, Andrea Marquez. This show is all about learning how to start, build, and grow your small business. And because I know it can get overwhelming, I'll make sure to call out key takeaways at the end of every episode. Something a lot of small businesses might think about is M&A, which stands for Mergers and Acquisitions. And very simply put, it's when another company buys another company. And there's so many reasons to do it. Maybe you want to exit your company or you think your business will thrive better. But when do you know it's the right time for your business to merge with another business? And how do you set up your business in a way that results in a successful merger? Coming up, I'll talk to Kisan Patel, the CEO of Deal Room and M&A Science, about when you should consider a merger or an acquisition and all the little details you'll need to consider if you decide to do so. But first, I want you to meet business owner Danielle Sorensi-Jones, the co-founder and ex-CEO of Powerhands, a sports and fitness product tech platform. We've had Danielle on the season finale of season one, and since then... She's managed to merge power hands with another business. Another fun fact, Danielle is now part of the Amazon team. Since our first interview with her, she has become the director of Amazon's Black Business Accelerator. So I'm excited to hear why and how she managed the momentous occasion of Power Hands' merger. Danielle, thank you so much for being on This Is Small Business again. I am excited to be with you. Let's talk about an interesting turn of events. What are you doing now? I am now working with Amazon as head of the Black Business Accelerator, as well as working with ASBA, our small business academy. And I'm just thrilled. And thinking back on the last two years, I'm right where I am supposed to be. And I talk about this, that I manifested day one. And I really believe that I did based on my overall why and purpose of how I help the underserved and how I help small businesses through the journeys and the bumps and bruises and the milestones and successes that I have experienced as a Black woman-owned business. It's exciting to have you on board with all your experience, especially what we learned from you in season one and your experience founding and leading Powerhands, which has recently gone through a very exciting merger. Can you tell me more about that? We knew from day one that when we unpacked our market, we were competing with multi-billion dollar companies. And we knew in order for our company to scale in the sports and fitness space that we had to connect with the right capital, with the right resources, with the right strategic partners in order for us to get our technology and innovation in the hands of every single community globally. And that's how we built the company. We built the company from an intentional model of how do we get our foundation in place? How do we scale 
and make it attractive for the right partner to come in and say, this is how Power Hands can add value to what we're doing so that together we can truly be great. And that's what we've done through last year, closing our tender offer and then doing a strategic merger with Vanguard Holdings. You took care of thinking about how to set up your business for a possibility like this in the future. And now that you're living it, can you talk to me about what the merger has been like? And from a small business owner's perspective, What are the things that we should think about when we set up our business in a way that is going to help us be attractive for a type of merger like the one Powerhands and Vanguard Holdings are going through? When you are thinking about where you're going and what your roadmap is for your business, the first thing that's part of your foundation is making sure that your business has a solid financial model in place. Because if they're very serious about either being an investor and putting injecting capital or acquiring your company, whatever the equity model looks like, they want to get into your financials. So it's super important that day one, throughout the course of building your business, that you build a strong financial model, your P&L. You have a team of accountants. You have either if it's a contract CFO or as you continue to scale and grow, you're able to hire a CFO, but making sure that your financial model and that your accounting is in order is super important. That will tell the story about how serious you are with your business because you can't have a poor financial model or a lack of understanding what your five-year performa is and asking someone else to invest in your business. That shows that I understand historically where I am and I understand where I'm going in the future. The next, when you think about making your company extremely attractive to other strategic partners is the the way in which you execute your go-to-market strategy. For instance, Power Hands is very heavy on the digital marketing side. We were also very heavy on the influencer marketing side, as well as looking at our e-commerce from an omni-channel perspective, having that very grounded. So when you look at the trends today and you think about what collectively adds to a company's strategy and provides value to their value card, Is it a digital roadmap? So do you have a presence where you're able to seek out new customers as well as engage with existing customers? What is that roadmap? From an influencer standpoint, who are your evangelists? Do you have micro-influencers? Do you have brand ambassadors that are part of your company? Um, What does that go-to-market look like from a campaign strategy perspective, strategic partnership perspective? Do you have national organizations that believe in what you do and that have integrated your model into what you do. The next is team. An investor truly wants to know whether they change the landscape of your team or not. They want to understand who is a part of your team that got you where you are today. So did you invest in having someone that looked at your business from a strategic landscape perspective and they helped on the business development side? What was your customer service landscape like? How did you invest in that model to make sure that 
not only were you serving the customer, but you also had a um, a voice of customer process in place, right? To understand and hear what the customer liked about your product or what they didn't like about your product or service that you were delivering. How were you able to gather data along the way to really understand the insights as to how you strategically attack your market segments and how you put programming together and how did that lead you uh, along your path? What is your legal counseling look like was super important. Again, if I had to summarize, I would say your financial modeling, the people that you have in place and your go-to-market strategy and how that all creates this 360 model. Having a strong team, solid financial modeling and a go-to-market strategy. How did you know that it was the right time for this merger for Powerhands? You know when you know. You prepare yourself throughout the course of your journey. And very early on our second year, we received an offer for a a very well-known fund to buy and purchase 60% of our company. We said, no, it didn't make sense for us. We knew we were not going to get the value. And frankly, at that time, the organization, we didn't feel real, really good about where they would take power hands. So we continued to build. We continued to make mistakes, get through the very tough times and then get to some milestones. And we continued to scale. Once we opened up our Series A round, we learned from our seed round and we knew within that Series A round that this had to be smart money. And this had to be smart money to set us up for our next opportunity, which was who was going to be sitting at the table who wanted first right of refusal to buy power hands. That's how we went into that round, understanding who our partner was, how we added to their particular vertical, where the gaps in their organization may have been and how we could truly grow together. So once we this particular investor invested in our Series A round, we were very intentional about taking them on a journey because we knew once we took them on a journey through power hands, we became more attractive to them. And not only did they understand the benefit that we could bring from a sports and fitness vertical where they were trying to merge into they also knew that one of our challenges and the boundaries that we had was human capital. So once they added that fuel into our organization, they saw our ROAS increase. They saw our ability to close strategic partnerships. They saw how we strengthened our omni-channel and our sales group. So they had the missing capital that we needed and the strength on the back-end side of different verticals and core competencies that they brought to the table from a supply chain model perspective. But we had that foundation that was already in place of e-commerce, of scaling on a retail side, of knowing how to have marketing strategies with micro-influencers and getting the strategic partnerships. Those were already there. Not wanting to oversimplify what this is, but it's like any relationship, right? And We've talked in previous episodes about finding the right business partner. And a lot of it, it's complimentary. Finding that person who has the strengths that you don't and vice versa. You know, a lot of people sit back and we wait for 
the chance to come to us. No, you have to seize the opportunity. And that's what we did. Not only did we think about our investors from a friends and family round perspective, seed, convertible note, and series A, we also thought about where we wanted the company to go from a long-term. So the first part was how do we get our investors a return? And that's why we accepted the tender offer and we allowed them, it was a third-party tender offer to participate in that tender offer. And then we went through the strategic merger. And then we were also smart about what the terms of that strategic merger was. Many people think when they do a strategic merger that you have to release all of your equity to whoever that individual is. We still own 51% of the company and it is still a Black woman-owned company and I am head of the board. I'm no longer CEO of that company. I am still a co-founder. We knew that it was an opportunity to turn over the reins to get someone to our next, but we did not, from a legacy perspective, have to give up the ownership of our company in order to gain strength. Still owning 51% of the company and not giving up ownership to gain strength is a big consideration. So when thinking about merging your small business, what are some of the top things that someone should consider for setting up your merger in a successful way? First, you, you really need to understand why you started. It's super important for you to answer that question when you're thinking about how you're going to exit your business. So if you started based on wanting to exit with a company that is going to keep your business alive and help it grow, right? And you want to join that team, it's important for you to answer that question. If you started with the mindset of an exit for it to grow and then for you to see it grow and for you to completely be removed from that business, then you need to answer that question. Or if it is an exit where you want to strategically combine with other companies in order to grow through acquisition. Those are all very important questions for you to ask. So the first is for you to understand why did you start and what is your exit going to be? The second is for you to look at your business model and to build your foundation. Building your foundation includes really understanding financially how I put my five-year performa in place to know how I'm going to become profitable. What does that road look like? With that financial modeling, you have to have your P&L in place so that you understand how you're driving that from month to month and quarter to quarter. That's going to be the first question that a company who's attractive to you from a standpoint of how do I take where the business is today and I grow it, they're going to want to see your historical financials as well as your future projections for your financials. The other huge point is your people and your team. When a company acquires you, depending upon who it is, they will want to either keep some of your team or they will bring in their team in order to fulfill some of the functions that they feel you have gaps. Make sure you have your team in order. Make sure you're able to explain what their role is and make sure you're able to really understand 
who should go with that company as part of that exit and then who you should negotiate to get a package so that they can go into their nets. Danielle, thank you so much for being on This Is Small Business. It was amazing to have you again and to be able to work with you now too. Thank you so much. You're listening to This Is Small Business brought to you by Amazon. I'm your host, Andrea Marquez. That was Danielle Sorenzi-Jones, the co-founder of Powerhands and now the director of the Amazon Black Business Accelerator. You can find out more about Powerhands and the Amazon Black Business Accelerator in our show notes on our website, thisismallbusinesspodcast.com. Danielle gave us a lot of valuable advice on the things you should consider when merging with another business. It seems like the process should start earlier on in your small business journey while you're figuring out your why. Once you have that nailed down, it all comes down to figuring out where you can find a partner that will complement your business. It reminds me of the Swiss cheese model that business owners Doriel Price and Jamila Tucker mentioned in episode 22. Did you know that nearly 60% of products sold in Amazon store are from independent sellers, most of which are small and medium-sized businesses? The small businesses we feature on the show are some of the many small businesses selling in the Amazon store who have tapped into some of the tools and resources offered to help them succeed and grow. One of those resources is the Amazon Small Business Academy, where you can find the help you need to take your small business from concept to launch and beyond. You can strengthen your skills at no cost with live and on-demand trainings, Q&As, events, and even find more This Is Small Business content. If you don't know where to start, you can take the free self-assessment on the Amazon Small Business Academy site at www.smallbusiness.amazon. Powerhands is also one of the businesses in the Amazon store that leveraged Amazon ads to reach audiences and grow their business. Amazon ads offers a range of products and information to help you achieve your advertising goals for registered sellers, vendors, book vendors, Kindle Direct publishing authors, app developers, and or agencies. With Amazon ads, insights, reach, and premium entertainment properties from music to streaming, you can connect with the right audiences in the right places, both on and off Amazon. So far, we've talked about why and when you should consider merging, and we'll dive in deeper into how to set up your business in a way that leads to a successful merger with my next guest, Kisan Patel the CEO of Deal Room and M&A Science. I'm excited for you to meet him. Kizan, it's great to have you here. Tell me a little bit about yourself. I got into a career doing M&A advisory where I would help business owners buy other businesses, sell other businesses, and grew that practice to work with corporations. It was really interesting, excited about the technology that was shaping and springing up in many different industries. I worked on a startup that failed miserably, but in that experience, I got to work with software engineers firsthand, and I was absolutely intrigued by the way they utilized project management software to build software and kept reflecting back to my experience in M&A thinking, why not a project management tool for managing mergers and acquisitions? Why are we doing everything on these Excel trackers? And it's a complicated, cumbersome process. And that's where it led to starting the company Deal Room in 2012 as a project management tool for M&A. When it comes to thinking about mergers and acquisitions, what are the first considerations one should make? 
We're going to talk about strategy a lot because that's where a lot of this stuff should originate. Really having clarity on, on what your strategy is. So if we think about why do companies buy other companies, they could want the product, the technology and say, Hey, if I could buy this product and offer it to my customers, I can generate additional revenues by doing so. They may look at a company that's doing similar to what they're doing, but they primarily want their customer base so they can expand and grow their market share. And that's going to be the emphasis to make sure they preserve and keep those customers happy. So then in turn, maybe sell them additional products that they have and grow revenues that way. Sometimes you may have two light companies and you just see opportunities to cut operational costs and be more efficient and generate value that way and focus more on the, the cost synergies, which people tend to drift towards because they're very predictable. Whereas the revenue synergies tend to be more complicated and it'll take a lot more effort to achieve. You could be building a product and find technology that will help you bridge that roadmap and get you there quicker. You could be buying a business just for the business. So when you think about, here's all these reasons why an organization buys another organization. Then when, it, when you look at it, it's time for you to, whether it's buy or sell, it should really align with that. And you can almost bucket this with the type of founder. Maybe there's a level of self-reflection there if, your goal ultimately is to maximize the value for yourself and walk away with the big of a check as possible. Or is it geared towards the mission that you set out to do? Because that, that can help guide you in different directions. If you're selling a business, when you get an understanding of why you're selling it, are you selling it to maximize and get the most money you can? Or are you selling it to find the best home for your business that it'll continue to grow? If you're going to objectively try to get the most cash as possible, you're probably going to hire an investment bank because they're going to build a competitive auction and use their network that that's what they do for their practice and be able to get you the highest price. They give you a lot of options in a short period of time and really get your business marketed well, a lot of lipstick all over it and really get the top, top dollar. The thing to be mindful of is, is that is a process that'll get you there in the shortest time frame and get you a high value. But in that process, you do deter some buyers. You deter the smart buyers that aren't going to overpay for a business. And those buyers tend to be the better operators, better culture, better organizations that could potentially, likely be a better home for your organization where people can grow. They have careers that they can grow ahead of. You, know, you get a bad acquirer, they buy your business and destroy it. And the biggest regrets I've seen from founders Big check aside is when they look back and see what they built, crash and burn. And that's something they can't take back. That's the worst thing. You don't want to be in that situation. So, you know, are you setting that company up for real success as a whole? Is this, is it the right move? Does it really make sense to bring those organizations? It's a lot of work to do that. You know, did it make sense culturally? Are they going to blend and mesh together? Because we've seen that blow up when the cultures didn't mesh well. When you do get that real clarity on that type, what your priorities are, then it, it'll allow you to get you in the direction. Are you taking the short game or long game? Now, the short game, you hire the bank, they'll guide you through a process, make it competitive. When you're taking the long game, it's not a shortcut either. It's, it's a lot of work because you have to proactively develop the relationship with these organizations that are likely to be your, your, your acquirer. And it is a very much a relationship game. Most of the time, it's about a year of relationship development to get to that point when you're really comfortable to put an offer letter to, together. And you're dealing with a nice proprietary deal, principle to principle. 
And you have to be proactive about it. Now, the good thing is a lot of times those organizations tend to be organizations that are good partners. So you can start off with building the relationship that may lend to a partnership, see how that goes and if that may validate that organization to bring an offer to bring your company in, in together. You know, but it's it's so different, right? You're going to go down the short path, hire the bank, move through a fast process that'll probably get you there in six months. Or do you take the long game and court those relationships that could take you maybe 18 months, 24 months, but uh, even longer? But you, you should develop that period. I think a good founder should nurture those relationships so you always have that option. You can always fall back and hire the bank to run an accelerated process. But if you do really strong networking with the strategics in your industry and who would be your likely acquirers, and they're good relationships to have in general. Like they're the ones that'll help you out. They're the ones that you can learn from and just do some deals to help grow your business faster. So if we go the long route, what are some things we should think about that can lead to a successful merger with another business? With making the deal successful, let's look at five things. One, the vision. Is there alignment executive principles working together on the deal on the vision? Like where's the end state? Can we bring that to, to the front of the deal so that we just are on the, on the same terms of what we're doing here? It starts there, which is pretty fundamental. I think the big thing that gets overlooked is values. When each respected executive can understand each other's organization's values, what it does is it helps you understand their culture. When you can really understand their culture, you'll start surfacing how things are really going to come together because it's the way our teams work. You know, you got an organization that's very top-down culture, leadership, and another organization is very bottoms up. That's not going to come together well at all. And you can identify some potential red flags that may prompt you to call the deal off that may not be good to, to bring these organizations together. And that happens. You know, you don't want to sign the deal and then find that out. So I, I do think that there should be alignment around that, spending time to get on the same page and understand each other's culture so you know exactly what you're getting into. And then the third one is your go-to-market. Thinking of this vision that we created and, and are shaping our deal around, what is that go-to-market going to look like together? I, I want to go beyond just here's what the flowchart of it's going to look like. Like, let's map out customer journey and talk through this from the customer's perspective and understand what is that really going to look like when these organizations come together. Then we can understand, you know, how are we going to deliver it? How are these sales teams going to come together in the functional organizations? But having alignment on what that go-to-market is going to look like combined would be the next big thing. Because that's the thing that if it gets screwed up, you lose a lot of value. The other part is your integration planning. There's so much you have to plan on how you're going to combine these companies together. And a lot of organizations come late to doing this and they'll do it when they're close to close. The worst thing to do is after close. Best thing to do is in the beginning, you're obviously going to go do a lot of diligence to make sure there's no big risk, red flag item, something missing, a lawsuit you didn't know about, things like that. You're going to go through a big exercise and even hire external folks to help you do diligence and identify those risks while you're doing that. You should iteratively, proactively develop your plan and how you're going to integrate the company and have your team members involved, a lot of the same folks doing the diligence and start outlining it and really shaping it to what needs to get done. And if you can do it in a craftful way with the company that you're planning with them and getting them aligned on that vision and how they're going to participate so they're not in the dark, that helps. Now, you can't do anything ahead of time. They call that gun jumping. 
So you ha- you can do all the planning you want, but as long as you don't tinker with anything in the company, you'd be fine. And last thing, I guess it expands off of that integration planning, but just really thinking about it from the other company's perspective. Because when you're going through this process of buying a company, you think so much of yourself and on your side of the table, protecting your company and, and the risk and things like that, how you're going to get value to the company. But you got to put this big emphasis on the people experience for the other side. You know, essentially you're hiring everybody, right? Those employees worked for a completely different badge and all of a sudden they're part of your company and they didn't choose that. So from their perspective is what is that people experience like? Can you do a sense of reverse diligence and help them understand your organization, the different business lines, where they're going to fit in, provide that transparency, but engage them to learn about your organization. The worst thing you do is you, you don't communicate this stuff. You create a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And people here at M&A, they don't know if they have a job. Recruiters are calling them. They become vulnerable. So it's really important to have them do the diligence in your organization and be part of what they're getting into. Could you also talk about hiring a good lawyer that'll help you through the M&A process? This is one of the most important hires in doing M&A. You want to befriend the best M&A lawyers out there. They will help you more than anything else. In fact, a lot of times they can give you so much advice because they've seen so many different deals and they can help you structure the deal better beyond protecting yourself with with the risk and, and, and so forth, liabilities. I would put an extreme amount of effort to network, to talk to other executives, folks you know that sold businesses in your similar industry, ask them for referrals. I, I would really dig in to make sure that lawyer has done similar size deals and ideally in the same industry. Just really spend the time to get the one that has done it before, has had expertise in that similar type of deal that that you're anticipating on and has done some volume of it. It is such above and beyond multiple fold investment to have that inherent knowledge and experience on your side. Thank you so much for being on This Is Small Business. I am sure that a lot of our listeners are going to find this very valuable. Thanks, Andrea. That was Kizan Patel, the CEO of Deal Room and m Science. Thank you for listening today. I've learned a lot from speaking to Danielle and Kisan. And as always, here are some key takeaways. One, if you're interested in an M&A, figure out why you want to do it. As Danielle and Kisan pointed out, there are lots of reasons why you might merge your business. Is it just for money? Or do you want to find the right partner who will help you grow your business? Is this a short or a long run type of investment? Two, figure out what value your business will offer another company. Obviously, it's important to make sure your financials are all good, but what else can you offer? Perhaps you have a customer base that the buyer wants to tap into, or maybe you've got great marketing skills. Danielle mentioned having a solid financial model in place, a strong go-to market strategy, and the team you need to make this merger successful. Three, Kizan pointed out five ways to ensure your merger is successful. One, vision. What are the end goals of this deal? Make sure to talk about the outcome you're hoping to achieve so everyone is on the same page. Two, values. It's really important to understand each other's values and culture to know early on if the merger is going to be successful. When you understand the values, you'll be able to see how your companies may merge and identify some potential red flags. Three, your go-to-market. After you shape your deal around your vision, you'll have to figure out what your go-to-market is going to look like. And this goes beyond just making a flowchart. 
You also should think about it from the customer's perspective. Four, integration planning. How are you going to combine the two businesses that are merging? And it's best to plan for this early in the process. And five, put yourself in the other business's shoes. When you're doing an M&A, you're also hiring a lot of people at the same time. And a lot of employees get worried when they hear M&A. So make sure you communicate with them to avoid any stress or fear on their part. And finally, get a really good M&A lawyer, preferably one with experience that could help you with the deal as a whole, not just the legalities. I'm curious, are you considering an M&A in the future? How are you preparing for that? Or maybe you're in the process of one or already went through that experience. I'd love to hear about your journey. Reach out to us at thisismallbusiness at amazon.com to tell us what you're up to. Or let me know what you think of the episode by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It's easier if you do it through your phone. And if you liked what you heard, I hope you'll share us with anyone else who needs to hear this. If you're an aspiring entrepreneur, and I hope you are if you're listening to This Is Small Business, or maybe you already have your small business up and running and you're ready for the next step. A super valuable resource that can help you is the Amazon Small Business Academy, where you can find the help you need to take your small business from concept to launch and beyond. Take the free self-assessment on the Amazon Small Business Academy site at www.smallbusiness.amazon. And don't forget that if you're selling in the Amazon store, Amazon ads can help your ad experiences reach audiences where they shop, read, listen, and watch. Learn more in our show notes. That's it for episode 15 of season two of This is Small Business, brought to you by Amazon. On our next episode and our season two finale, we'll be talking with Miguel Leal, the co-founder and CEO of Somos Foods and former executive vice president of marketing at Kind Bars about his business journey. Until next time, this is Small Business. I'm your host, Andrea Marquez. Hasta luego, and thanks for listening. This is Small Business is brought to you by Amazon with technical and story production by Jar Audio.